Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. People are really groomed pretty intentionally into a lot of these groups. So they are having all of those aspects of themselves intentionally undermined. So it can make it really difficult to have a good defence against it. And so I think it is about uh, educating people around the red flags to look out for. Um, And also, like you mentioned, mental well-being and, you know, people having healthy boundaries for themselves. It's really important knowing what things are okay for you to kind of give away of yourself to help other people and when that's actually crossing a line. Great to be back with you here, as always. It's been a busy week for me having been in Brisbane for the Social Enterprise World Forum, which I must say was a really awesome event and Brisbane really blew me away as a city too. Lots of good memories and great conversations to reflect on. If you're curious about my thoughts on the conference, check out my recent LinkedIn blog on it with a link in today's show notes. Thank you to those who responded to our annual listener survey. Plenty for me to think about now as I look at how I plan to improve the podcast for next season. I'll also get in touch with our competition winners during the week. A lot of people at the forum ask me how I'm able to pay for the podcast and resource it. And the answer, as you may know, is that we run as a social enterprise and rely on a handful of sponsored episodes each year to fund all our operations for the season. Our loyal and engaged audience ensured that we're a regular top 20 position holder in the Australian management podcast category. We have just two promotional spots remaining for 2022. So if you're a values aligned product or service organization and you want to reach our young and senior professional audience of Australian changemakers, of whom about 10,000 tune in per month, we'd love to hear from you. Beyond sponsoring the podcast, another way to support the show and enjoy some great perks in the process is to become a Humans of Purpose member. Perks include access to every episode a few days early, ad-free episodes, an audio note giving you more context on each guest and episode, a full transcript of every episode, as well as my top five insights from each episode, and contact details for each guest, as well as a brokered introduction service. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more. As ever, we are proud to be sponsored by the great folk at Neon Treehouse, who are still the best digital agency on the planet Earth. They do all our marketing and social media and are doing a great job for a fantastic cause too. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Sarah Steele back to the podcast. Sarah came on the podcast about two years ago and has an amazing podcast called Let's Talk About Sects, S-E-C-T-S that is, where she spends time researching, engaging with former cult members and producing an incredibly high quality storytelling podcast about cults that has a really positive community impact. Now in pre-production for season five of her podcast, she's just released her first book called Do As I Say. I've loved listening to the audiobook version of this as part of the Audible offering, and she narrates it herself and has a fantastic voice. I've also brought the print edition too, which is lovely to hold on to. Sarah and I dedicate a fair chunk of our conversation to the book, so I won't give away any spoilers here in the preamble. You can find Do As I Say at all decent book outlets, and I'll pop a link in the show notes also for direct purchase opportunities. 
I love talking to Sarah about her work, given how unique it is, how she's managed to create such a positive social impact at community level through her work, and how she combines her creative pursuits with her day job too. If you have any interest in the recent and ongoing Melissa Caddick story, this is an episode not to be missed also. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sarah as much as I did. Well, I'm just thrilled to be joined by my favorite cult experts. It's not often that you get to say that. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Pleasure. I'm sure you're, you you probably aren't the type of person who has other favorite cult experts. Am I right? Oh, I've got a few. I've got a few. <laughs> I just spoke to one the other day, so I'll be putting out an episode about um Dr. Yanya Lalich, who I have been a big fan of since I started the show. And even just getting to speak to these people who've been working in this area for so long is, you know, it's a pretty amazing part of just doing a podcast and being able to access these great minds. Yeah, and like I, I am intrigued by what you do. I mean, we first recorded in mid, mid-pandemic 2020, uh, which was interesting, and I've been listening to your podcast, Let's Talk About Sects, which I think is just a, such a clever play on words and podcast, um, very unique in the way it's done, very high-quality audio production. And um, my wife and I, I think we're weird, but maybe we're not because it seems like a lot of people over the past few years have become more and more interested in cults, uh, beliefs, uh, mass indoctrination and, and such phenomena. So you've just written a book about all of the above, which I'm really keen to unpack. But maybe before we do that, um, what sort of got you interested in cults in the first place as a sort of subject? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, and I actually just had the same the same interest that so many listeners of my podcast now, and of many similar podcasts have, which is a real fascination around the dynamics and the psychology and this kind of trying to understand why people might end up in this situation where they act completely differently to how they otherwise would, um, and understanding coercive control and how it operates. And at the time. I thought, oh, I might find a podcast to listen to about it. And there wasn't one, which is ridiculous to say now because there are heaps, but back then there weren't any. And um, Yours is still the best, by the way. Oh, that's very kind, very kind. There's some really good ones out there these days, though, I have to say. There's some really good stuff out there. Um, But, yeah, I think, as you said, like the topic is not becoming less interesting. It's almost always becoming more relevant as we're seeing a lot of the online radicalization that's happened over the, the the pandemic, all of the conspiracy theory stuff that's kind of everywhere these days, a lot of what happened in the US around the cult of Trump, like there is just so many relevant aspects to the subject that that means that uh, unfortunately isn't becoming less fascinating or interesting. Yeah, and uh, it's an interesting take because, I mean, sometimes you get people who through lived experience or, you know, they, they grew up in a commune or something, they'll want to start this sort of podcast. But sort of my own journey to studying humans of purpose is very similar to yours where it was more like, I want to hear about people whose business is having a positive social impact. Where can I go to do that? And then you're like, oh, nowhere. All right, well, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> it's sort of a fun yeah. thing about finding gaps in markets and also, you know, adding that creative voice and curiosity to something, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I I had originally just started it with that um, basic fascination, but it became really apparent as soon as the project kicked off, there were so many people getting in touch who wanted to talk about their stories. So it just became really clear that there was a need for a platform like this, that there was a need for very nuanced coverage that was not super sensationalist, and the motivation really changed from kind of my own personal 
interest, which is still there and will always remain, but into much more of a, oh my goodness, like this is actually a terrible thing. Nobody's talking about it enough. They're talking about it more now, which is great. And there's a lot more nuanced coverage in mainstream media as well, which is great. But I just think there are so many people coming out with these stories of trauma whose lives have been impacted by these groups, by coercive control at scale. And there's very little being done to help or help them when they come out or to stop it from happening in the first place. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, the sort of rise in the, the discussion, I bet if you did a Google term search around cult or, you know, cult of personality or fitness cult or some some ideological cult or movement, it really would have spiked in the past few years. And um, I think interest has sort of followed, even if you look at Netflix and the success of shows like Wild Wild Country and some of these other series, um, the, the Nexium ones and some of the more common ones that people know about, more recently the Teal Swan sort of stuff. Isn't What do you think it is that makes people genuinely interested in cults um, sort of beyond your curiosity, just the general public being quite taken with the, with the idea? Yeah, I mean, it's this sort of there is that same fascination there's this idea of how how could someone let that happen to themselves or this idea that it could never happen to you but I actually wonder if it's because people are worried that it it could happen to them I think we really like to say that could never happen to me I would never end up in that situation and the more I've studied these groups and the more people I've spoken to the more apparent it's become to me that it could indeed happen to anybody you know like I talked to people who joined a martial arts school or who um, all they did was like go to a self-help meeting or, you know, went to a class on X, Y, Z, went to drug rehabilitation, if you're talking about Synanon, and then ended up in a cult. So I think. That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halfsies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. It's, it is it's very, is it the sort of human experience of just, you know, you can just wander into something and be very taken with it and then next minute you're, you're knee deep. Yeah, yeah, and, and that people know that they've heard these, these stories about the types of, I don't know, really scary things that happen in these groups, like, the you know, the ones that hit the headlines are kind of like the big suicide groups or the Nexium, like people branding each other slave type scenarios so you know that that people can end up doing things that are so against who they usually would be outside of that group so under the influence of uh, a, a leader or leadership that is just bringing out these things that you wouldn't even imagine would be possible like I I've talked to many of these people and they're totally normal people they're really good people most of them who they were just trying to do a good thing. They were trying to improve their own lives or, or make a difference in the world. A lot of them were trying to make a difference in the world. And, and maybe the thing that was, I don't know, the most risky for them to become enmeshed was actually that they were too idealistic and they really wanted to give of themselves so they didn't have enough kind of boundaries in place to stop that from happening. But, um, I mean, 
you've you've read the the part in my book where I actually share a personal experience of dealing with a con artist um, who I believe was, that because I've listened to the series on that recently. Yeah, yeah, it That's was un- I, unbelievable. I actually wasn't sure whether it was you or you talking about someone else because I thought really that's amazing anyway I'll let you sort of touch on that yeah I I really struggled over whether to include it or not in the book but I just felt that it's this rare occurrence where something that's happened to me personally it's really helped me to understand like how you don't ask those pertinent questions of someone who you think that you can really trust if there's someone who you don't feel like there's any reason for you not to trust them, and in the case of people in cults, they're they're dealing with someone who they think has their best interests at heart at every step of the way, someone who is really invested in their personal development or even their salvation. And so, and then kind of coming out of it and realizing what had happened. So in my case, it was Melissa Caddick, which is a name that a lot of, well, most of Australia would be familiar with. Any international listeners are probably might have heard about it as well. Like this has hit the headlines everywhere. This is kind of a, a massive, um, I guess, Ponzi scheme that happened mm. in Australia and she was a relative of my partner, Joe, who does all the music for Let's Talk About Sex. Mm. And Great music fantastic. also. Fantastic <laughs> yeah, he's, music. he's amazing. So he was also impacted by this. And, you know, it just took us such a long time, like each step of the way to kind of try to come to terms with what had actually happened. Mm. And you want to believe the best of someone. So even at the start, you know, we thought, oh, my goodness, something's clearly gone wrong here. And then it was, oh, my goodness, she's she's done something bad. And then it was like, well, she wouldn't have done anything bad to her relatives. And then it was just like one step after the other is like, oh, wow, wow, this is really <laughs> an awful lot worse than we ever could have imagined was possible. And so I think it just gave me a strangely kind of pertinent insight into what that experience is like of just having someone mm. who you thought you could trust turn out to have been manipulating. Yeah. So if we just give a bit more context for our listeners, so Melissa Caddick, um, you might have heard of in the media, was running in a massive um, scheme posing as a, a registered financial advisor and then commandeering friends and relatives to investing huge amounts of money into her fund that she was managing. She was not accredited to manage that fund and would generate fake statements on, you know, excessive market returns of those investments. Um, and then it, when certain people asked for money, of course, there was no money because it was all being spent on quite this lavish lifestyle. And interestingly, part of that lavish lifestyle and wealth and that kind of denial of opportunities and exclusivity sort of made this perfect concoction of, um she almost taps into every behavioral science thing that you need to actually be really desired and be a really good um, seller. You know, that whole idea that oh, I've got too many clients. I don't know if I could possibly take you on as a client, um, only dressing immaculately and flying first class everywhere. So, you know, it looks like she's very successful. So do, do you kind of go through each of those things much and think about is this all just a construction around how to manipulate towards trust in a way? Yeah, it's such a tricky one because, I mean, it, yeah, to to me as someone who, like, I've never invested any money in my life. I know nothing about it. I yep. am always, I've been always worked in the arts and, you know, never had that yeah. much money, but I had a bit in savings and it wasn't earning any interest. And, you know, Joe got a bit of inheritance and he thought, oh, a smart thing to do would be to give it to Melissa. He's known her since she was born. She's clearly very successful. 
And all of those signs of success, like you say, they were just based on spending other people's money. But to us, it was like, I would never have had any interactions with anyone in my entire circles who would have those levels of wealth. So mm. Mm. it you know, you go to her house and these views over the Sydney Harbour were just yep. absolutely incredible. Um, and it's not stuff that I'm that interested in. I don't even know what designer clothes look like. Yeah. You know, I don't know what what is a, a diamond and what isn't. It's like not my life at all. But I, I definitely I thought, well, of course, she's very successful at what she does. So, I mean... I guess that could have been totally intentional, but I, it's really hard to know what she could have been thinking. Well, why do you think you chose to tell that story as sort of an opener for the book? I mean, it's not a cult, so this is a financial um, Ponzi scheme around deception and manipulation of trust. Is it because some of these are the common characteristics or elements of what makes a good cult? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted. I guess a lot of the people I talk to who've come out of cults, they have a lot of shame and embarrassment for um, what what they did and what they went through. They've often lost vast amounts of money they've handed over to people, um, and I I just always feel like they shouldn't they shouldn't have that shame and embarrassment. That responsibility needs to lie with the person who has done the manipulating, and it didn't stop me from feeling shame and embarrassment. Right, like I I. I identify as having those feelings around this mm. whole thing. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, I think I need to put my money where my mouth is and say, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell this story on, on my terms. I, you know, I haven't been talking to the the media about it before yep. this. Um, and I'm going to say, well, this is something that I can kind of draw on from my own personal experience yeah. that I can identify some of these things. And by the way, I had already been studying cults for like a number of years when this all happened. It still didn't occur to me. And so yeah. it was an interesting way to kind of um, look at how trust and manipulation and all of those things work. But to be completely honest with you, yep. the first manuscript that I handed in had that section uh, much further towards the back of the book. And I would say you found it in the introduction because that's where the, the publisher thought that it should go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's such an interesting hook because it's so unexpected um, and I, I didn't see it coming. But the more I thought about it as I was listening to it, I, I felt like you were drawing me into what some of the key characteristics are of like cult leaders. And, you know, even though Melissa Caddick um, wasn't running a cult, she was sort of running more of a scheme. She had the charisma. She had all the appearances and allure of somebody who could save you or be a saviour type character. But um, I wonder, just a sort of general question, I mean, do you think because Melissa was a financial advisor and that's quite a normal thing for people to engage with financial advisors, it happens all the time, that maybe there's less stigma or shame attached to something like that than sort of being involved in an ideological movement or something that's a bit more off the grid. Um, you know, I'm thinking sort of like Scientology, um, you know, something that, that requires a lot more kind of buy-in. And Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think it, um, it, it can go either way, I suppose, because I feel maybe more shame and embarrassment because it's like, because what was I trying to get out thing. of it, right? Yeah. Profit. I wasn't trying to get like salvation or, yeah. you know, change the world or do something amazing. I was like, 
oh, maybe one day I, I might actually be able to buy a house in the Sydney housing market, which is an idea <laughs> I had given up on a long yeah. time ago. I did think that, you know, the, the money that we have was going to be peanuts to her. Like it was, she probably would say, oh, it's actually not really worth my while because I thought she was dealing with millionaires, you know. Um, <clears throat> so in that sense, I almost have more shame about it. But, yeah, I think maybe socially the stigma might not be as bad because there is still so much victim blaming when it comes to people who've come out of cults that just even asking that question, like, why didn't you leave, which is the most common question that these people get asked, is such a misunderstanding of the dynamics that are going on. And it really, at its core, it is a victim. It's the same as, you know, that question gets asked a lot of people who are in domestic abuse relationships, but we're getting a lot better at not asking it anymore because we understand those dynamics. Yeah. It's a a great analogy example. Yeah. 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 And I think there's just still a bit bit more of a way to go with people who've come out of cults to really understanding that how coercive control operates in that environment and why <laughs> it's not the fault of the person who fell under that spell. How many cults do you think you've covered um, in your time uh, over the past few Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, that's a big check. Well, obviously, you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. He's both as a podcaster and just as a general person who's interested in that space. I mean, I've only done kind of 33 episodes, full episodes of the show and then a few kind of bonus episodes because they're pretty in-depth and each one takes quite a lot of research and I took a year out to write a book. But then for the book, I put out a survey and then that came back with a number of cults that I'd never heard of and so there are a bunch more of those in the book. Like, I mean, I'm probably, in terms of those I've researched, it would only be in-depth in the 30s, but those that I've kind of got on the spreadsheet that is ever growing is kind of in the hundreds. So yeah. And, and it will keep growing. And as a Yanya Lalich, who I just mentioned before, she's been doing this work for decades, decades and decades. And, you know, there were cults I'd heard of that she hadn't like, there's no way that you're ever going to cover them all. I could do this work forever and they're still going to keep coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. And, and the fact that they keep happening despite growing awareness um, is is also quite terrifying because they're clearly there's some sort of um, mental and emotional override switch that they just the dynamics are able to overcome through those fuzzy feelings, that some of which you talk about in the book, like love bombing, coercive control and some things. But, you know, when I look at cults that I've read about or heard about, I mean, it's always invariably there's a charismatic leader um, who is making promises that are a bit ethereal or not possible or seemingly a bit stretched. Um, There's always vulnerable people and there always seems to be at some point uh, manipulation of a group of people um, so as to gain sexual advantage of minors um, or vulnerable people to the favour of the cult leader and their inner circle. I'm just curious about your reflections on that and what are sort of some of the key common elements of cults that you've observed in all your study? Well, I would even debate some of that. And, mm. you know, in, in a way I would have agreed with a lot of what you said, but I've now looked at groups where that original charismatic leader is no longer around and yet mm. the group is still operating very much oh. in the same way because it was set up so well and perhaps the 
the leadership that's followed in their wake has just kept up some of those methods of control um, is still gaining from it. They may not be as charismatic or as controlling. Sometimes it dissipates over time, but there are plenty of groups that that one charismatic leader is no longer there and they are still behaving in all of those same ways. And also I would say the kind of sexual exploitation thing, it's a very common element of cults, but mostly I think that the ex- the type of exploitation that occurs is very dependent on the particular kind of whims of the leader or leadership of that group as to what they kind of want out of it and what they what appeals most to them. So most common I see is definitely financial. That would be the most common. But some of them aren't even financial, like some give up all belongings and live a very ascetic life, but they regularly still just want to have people worship them. It's it's mostly about power and control. So that person at the top has to have a specific kind of personality that really requires this power and control over others to feed into their ego or their, you know, I, I would say they are usually some type of narcissist, but I'm not a psychoanalyst, so I, you know, can't talk too much on that. But there are plenty of psychologists who do have plenty of um, opinions worth reading on on that particular subject. So the fact that there are, you know, so many cults and they all operate in these very similar ways, which have been identified with many experts over time and the methods that they use. There's a chapter in the book that I call the playbook, which is essentially breaking down like all of the different cults that I've seen these behaviours occur across and how they've occurred. Um, And they're all about undermining people's sense of ego and people's sense of self and their boundaries. So like keeping them working really hard, making sure that they don't sleep enough, not giving them enough food, having limitations over their uh, family, like procreation, family bonds, you know, mm. and us in their mentality, like all of these things that happen in all of these groups. I think that the reasons that they happen is sad to say because they're almost human nature. Yeah. And so if you, yeah, if you have people growing up in these kind of maladaptive ways where they get value out of exploiting others, you're always going to have cults. And what is so interesting for me is a lot of the cult patterns and behaviours that you've just talked about, um, especially ones like um, coercive control and love bombing, you sort of see them in other places and modalities as well. Like I've worked in places that seriously try and apply coercive control to your work-life balance and, you know, that employment contract. I've also worked at places where you are heavily love bombed in and then when you transgress, you are kind of, you know, pushed out. Um, or you, you sort of break the code of the leader or whatever. And it's just, um, it's interesting how a lot of the elements that are really common in cults trickle across other areas like uh, working life is one oh, yeah. example. Um, I think the fitness movement is sort of fascinating how yoga has sort of led over time into various cults um, and is sort of a great recruiting ground for cults. I think multi-level marketing um, is fascinating in new forms of business. Um, what's your observation on, yeah, that sort of like bleeding of edges around what a cult is and um, that that uh, transgression into other areas of society? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, a chapter in the book about that as well, which covers, I think, everything that you just mentioned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's cultic behaviours across society and multi-level yep. marketing is a really key one because there's actually like in some of those MLM schemes, it's I don't think that line is even blurred. I think they basically are yeah, acting yeah. as cults, right? They are, absolutely. Yeah, and and you do you see it a lot in businesses. I think um, this sort of uh, 
startup culture, particularly in America, which is often formulated around this kind of like charismatic central figure. Yeah. Doesn't accept any criticism and is the real face of the movement. Like, do you see we work with Adam Newman? We work, yeah. And Theranos, I think people yeah, talked Theranos, about being a very. They are, they are great examples of, I feel like, people who are running businesses who are actually running cults. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're feeding off those same dynamics because, mm. yeah. I mean, and what's the difference between those and Nexium, really? Like, Nexium, it was a multi-level marketing scheme, and it, it was, was an executive a- success program. So, I mean, that's that for me. What's so interesting is like, um, if you're an executive and you want to be get better, which all American executives probably around that time did, it, it seems like a really smart thing to do is to start a leadership development program, get people to pay a lot, and then it's sort of in a way like you can justify it because you're just trying to get a step up, level up or whatever, but then you're doing all these things you didn't expect and that's the trade-off to take the next step and, you know, it's sort of fascinating. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of uh, area for bleed in kind of these unregulated industries like the sort of self-help industries and the coaching industries and all of these when you get the wrong personalities at the top that can cause quite a lot of harm. And what about like um, fitness movements? Like it's amazing to me having been in the high-intensity interval training space um, and the amount of studios that are popping up that sort of have these like cultic formula elements to them and like trying to build community and like trying to like activate groups to do stuff. And like um, I can't be too critical of them because they work for me on a social and like activation level, but I don't go that next level deeper because it's terrifying. But, you know, they feel it does feel sometimes really cultic. And some of them, even if you read through their past kind of marketing materials, they have actually uh, purposefully um, tried to bring in culty elements into their uh, community building. Like it's been an intentional tactic. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There are many groups like that. And I think, yeah, as long as you are good with your personal boundaries and you don't get too <laughs> too involved and you can see where the dangers are, then you're fine. But I guess that's where the education piece really comes in is yeah. uh, making sure people recognise the red flags. Yeah, like, um, for example, if something is helping you to get healthier and you're losing weight and looking better, well, then surely no one can tell you not to go deeper into that, right? This becomes these sort of like really clever bulwarks in these spaces, the same in yoga or meditation. So if you're actually connecting with yourself more and you seem more at peace and more, you know, mindful, who's to tell you that, you know, it's a bad thing? Yeah, but the number of people who, uh, well, that's the starting point for almost every single cult that I've spoken to. At the beginning, they were seeing many benefits across various areas of life. So it could be, it could be fitness. It could be like, I don't know, um, this leadership stuff. It could be like mental health. It could be whatever it is, diet. Um, they, they usually do offer something beneficial. They're not based on nothing. Like otherwise, why would they have any success? That wouldn't work. People just would overlook them. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is just, you know, I hate the question. People always ask me, who's your, who's been your favourite person to talk to on the podcast? And I say, that I don't have a favourite. I love all my children equally, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, is there a cult in recent times that sort of really grabbed your attention or fascinated you that you sort of just thought, whoa, what the hell? This is just incredible. Oh, I mean, I only just put out the first episode of the fifth season of the podcast and I had a year's break before that. So it's actually been a while, although I have, you know, done a couple of um, bonus episodes in between. But, that yeah, so many of them are so interesting. I often come back to uh, Zendik Farm, which was Helen Zuman was in that group in America and it was like a organic farming kind of ca- countercultural uh, 
group in in kind of American. Um, I can't remember exactly where they were located. They moved around a bit, uh, but you know, in the country, like not in the city. Um, and I think groups like that more than the religious ones, I can really see. It's easier for me to see how I might have become involved in one. It's like this rejection of capitalism. It sounds oh, like totally. a sort of like a yeah, totally. yeah. I mean, like a, that, that's for me is a bit terrifying. Some of those cults where you just think, oh, I could be in that cult. Like the first, the first few episodes of Wild Wild Country, I'm like this is this is great. Like you know, <laughs> these people are definitely doing the right thing. Like coming and starting a new town that's a bit more communal. It sounds great. <laughs> you know, like yeah, what's, yeah. What's wrong but, with this picture? And then you know, you sort of go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, and even if you look back to the early days of. Um, the People's Temple, so the Jonestown group, they were all about uh, being like racially diverse in their. Is that me? I don't have a dog here. It could be. Oh, Jeff, <laughs> that's all right. Don't worry. Like a great day next week. I'll start again. It's atmospheric. Okay, stop. <laughs> oh my <What>? gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say People's Temple way back in the beginning. If you look at its early days, it was like all. Um, being all about uh, accepting all different races into this mm. church belief system where a lot of churches were still having a lot of segregation. So if you look back at it, it seemed really appealing and like it was very progressive. And so there was a lot to attract people to a group like that. And, you know, look how that ended up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder, sort of, are there lessons for you in what people can do to sort of better protect themselves and stay alert and aware of um, cultic things or, you know, better equip themselves um, to protect themselves against being recruited into cults? Is it is it a matter of um, improving critical thinking, understanding better mental models or frameworks, just being more aware? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question uh, because people are really groomed intent pretty intentionally into a lot of these groups so they are having all of those aspects of themselves intentionally undermined so it can make it really difficult to have a good defense against it and so I think it is about uh educating people around the red flags to look out for um and also like you mentioned mental well-being and you know people having healthy boundaries for themselves it's really important knowing what things are okay for you to kind of give away of yourself to help other people and when that's actually crossing a line to be giving away too much of yourself. That can be a really tricky thing. And I often think about that the um, most research suggests, and it's really difficult to, to come up with any numbers because a lot of these groups are really secretive. A lot of people are ashamed and embarrassed to talk about their experiences, all of these reasons. But there do seem to be more women than men in cults. And I do think that that is a lot because women are socialized to be more accommodating of others and to give of themselves more. And so trying to make sure that people know where that line should be and not, not to like create a world where everyone is horribly selfish and only looks out for themselves because that's the problem with the cult leaders. But, you know, um, healthy boundaries are really important. But it's also really important to remember that so many people never chose to join these groups in the first place mm. because they were born into these groups. Yeah, that's an important thing to think about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so we can we can educate and we can try and protect ourselves from joining, but I really also think we should be doing an awful lot more for people who never made that choice. Let's just dispel a myth straight off the bat. I'll put the myth to you and you dispel it. Um, smart people wouldn't be caught in a cult because they're smart. Ha, absolutely untrue. And many cults have uh, 
very smart, very intelligent people involved in them. It's not about intelligence in any way. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's much more about, and I think even you mentioned earlier that there are vulnerable people involved. It, that is true, but I think it's not true in the way that a lot of people understand it to be true in that <clears throat> most of the time people who are joining a cult it's when they're at a, a vulnerable point in their life. It's not necessarily that they are a vulnerable person. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so it's like they're uh, coming out of a re relationship. Maybe they've lost someone really close to them or they're um, moving out of home and this is why students are pretty big recruiting grounds, universities, because you're at a point in your life where you're like reassessing everything. You're trying to figure out the meaning of what, your life has been because you've had some massive change and you want to dedicate yourself to something that's going to give your life meaning that perhaps, I don't know, that person that you've lost or whatever it is, you were getting that meaning from there before. So you're at a vulnerable point. And if you happen to come across the wrong group at the wrong time and you put all your energy into that group, you know, that's where it falls down. And so that can be someone of any level of intelligence. <laughs> That is so well said. And so when you were writing this book, I mean, what, what was your intention, uh, first of all? And second of all, with the name, Do As I Say, uh, when I read that, I thought it was very clever. Is that sort of a non sequitur reference to leaving off the part, not what I do kind of thing? Or Yeah, exactly yeah, okay, right. Cool. <laughs> the unsaid part, not as I do, because this is this is how these cult leaders operate. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, lot of, a lot of hypocrisy in those groups. So... Yeah, I'd been doing the podcast for, for I guess, four years by then and um, Pan McMillan approached me about writing a book and I thought, look, I could reformat the podcast into a book and have an episode, like each chapter about a different group, which is what I do on the podcast, but like talking to all of these people who've come out of all of these groups and all of these experts and all of these various um, people with all kinds of amazing knowledge it's shown me a lot of the parallels between the different groups. It's had me thinking about so many different like aspects of society, like we mentioned, that this stuff bleeds into. Um, and it's had me thinking a lot about what, what we could be doing better to support people because the people I talk to, they, they've come out with often with nothing and with nowhere to turn. And they've amazingly managed to kind of cobble a life together and figure out everything themselves. And I'm so in awe of so many of them. But there weren't many resources available. Um, and so I wanted to write something that explored some of those aspects, how little we're doing to stop this from happening, um, where some of the ideas around religious freedom are coming into conflict with human rights abuses in some of these groups and how it's not about religion anyway. I mean, this is about coercive control. So as we're looking at coercive control laws, maybe cults need to be taken into consideration here as well. Yes, very well said. So, I mean, what are some of the main lessons or learnings you think people will take away from reading your book? I hope, uh, like the podcast, I want people to take away that the victim-blaming the victim, the victim mentality has to go, um, that there are, you know, many wonderful, amazing people who've been involved in these groups and it's not their fault. Um, we could be doing an awful lot more to help them when they've come out. Uh, I think we could really work to provide many more resources to make that an easier 
journey, particularly if what we've decided is that we are just going to let these groups continue on and have more people born into them and have more people coming out with all this trauma. I think we need to, as a society, say, well, we should provide more to help people coming out of these groups. But really, ideally, I would like to see more being done about the harms being caused in the first place. And so it's just my little drop in the ocean uh, to try to help on the education side of it. Because that's one of the few things we can do is just try to increase understanding about how the groups operate and the damage that they're causing to try and slow it down at least. Well, I must say I can't wait to read the whole book. I listened to the first chapter that you released and I just thought it was superb and I've got the press release and I've read some of the notes and I've seen the structure. So can't wait to read it. How can people get a hold of the book? Um, Is it on audiobook as well? It is. It's available audiobook and ebook, um, and in Australia and New Zealand in a hard copy at hopefully all your favourite bookstores. If it's not at your favourite bookstore, you just need to request it and they'll order you a copy in. <laughs> wow, it's that easy. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about your wonderful work in person, how can they do that? Uh, probably through Let's Talk About Sects. The podcast is the mm-hmm. best way and you can just find that on all your usual platforms and social media and everywhere. Fantastic. Well, well, we will definitely make a link in the show notes. And if you want to do anything for Humans of Purpose listeners, we'll pop it in there. And I have just loved reconnecting with you. Um, thanks for being here. And do you have a minute to debrief? Of course. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. And why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.